The world of theater is full of stars. But just like in the night sky, sometimes we don't see them all. Some are in the wings, some are maybe up over us in the catwalk. Hopefully they're not under the stage, but um, you never know. In this series, we are going to meet those hidden stars of the theater, hear their stories, and be inspired by them. So join me on this journey here in my state-of-the-art production studio in my backyard as we meet the hidden stars of theater. Hey everybody, it's Jamie Davis, the host of the Hidden Stars of Theater. And I'm so excited today, I had to get started before I even got in the camper, but we're gonna head in the camper in just a minute, and we're gonna meet a very special guest, Paul Regano. He is a composer, a lyricist, award-winning. He and his brother work as a team. We're gonna hear all about that as we hear his journey and his story. And uh, But first, we're gonna see some show shots from Dublin's Yodo High School in Dublin, Ohio with coach Patricia Santanello. And why don't we watch those while I go into the camper and get things started there, all right? I'll see you guys in a minute, we'll meet Paul. everyone uh hope you enjoyed those shots from uh, our featured school of the day and i know what you're really going to enjoy uh, and that is our featured hidden star of the day paul regano who is joining us from uh, a really a probably a place where normally there's a whole lot more going on than where there is where i am but i'm not sure about that today but whatever it took to get him to spend time with us and he would have just done it anyway because he likes us right right paul absolutely Absolutely. Well, you know what? Here's the deal, though. It's a, it's our honor to have him with us. He truly is a hidden star of Broadway, although I'm telling you, my prediction is he won't always be a hidden star. I think there's going to come a day where we'll hear his name more. Uh, right. We hope. Right, Paul? That's a hey. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Definitely. <laughs> absolutely. But for Get now, tip from this guy, he, he can really predict. There you go. There you go. That's right. So let's let's all make sure that that happens. We'll, and then we'll be right. And that's the best way to be right is to be right. Anyway, so it is great to have you guys with us, of, of course. And um, I'm excited to share Paul's story with you. Uh, Paul is um, he, he represents some people that are hidden stars that we haven't talked about yet, which is really cool. And and kind of uh, from the from the music aspect of things, we've been talking to a lot of stagehands and uh, a lot of people that make things and put things up and tour and whatnot. Uh, Paul is currently working in New York City um, and uh, the, the little place called Broadway. He's had some dealings with and we'll we'll see him there soon. And and uh, yeah, so it's not my story, though, Paul, it is yours to tell. And so I want to I want to start out just by getting to know who you are now, uh, kind of where you started, uh, all the things in life that help make you who you are now. The people, the places, the events, uh, the things, I, I guess you could say all the nouns and verbs that sculpted Paul Regano into the man that's hanging out in my trailer today. And um, so without further ado, I turn it over to you to to just enlighten us. Oh, wow. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for that glowing introduction and I hope I can live up to it. Um, I, yeah, I, I've been, I came from a theatrical family, so I didn't really have uh, much of a choice. Um, when I was very, very young, 
my both my parents were in the business. My dad was a lighting designer. My mom was uh, a performer. By the time I was born, they were both out of the business, but still really cared a lot about theater. And uh, we were going to see Broadway shows regularly. I grew up in a suburb of New York City called New Rochelle. Um, but uh, both my parents, I was born in the city. We moved out of the city when I was very young. Um, so I've always felt a strong connection to New York. Um, and because of my proximity, I was exposed to a lot of theater from a very young age. The first thing that I remember was uh, when the original production of Into the Woods was um, recorded for PBS. Um, and they, they sat my brother down. I was too young at the time, or maybe I wasn't born yet. They sat my brother down um, and, and and had him watch it because I mean it was it was fairy tales it was Broadway it was all the things that you yeah. think you start to a little bit and then you know in the second act a little bit of death but fairy tales uh, uh, was, was that the one with Bernadette Peters and Chip Zahn Chip Zahn Chip Zine, yes Zine 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 yeah. yes Bernadette Peters Chip Zine Joanna Gleason great product Westenberg and Kim Crosby oh, I mean yeah. the list goes on just incredible. Um, Tom Aldridge. Anyway, uh, I could I could talk I could do a whole episode just about that production. But <laughs> and we might. One of, my, <laughs> one of my first formative memories, like one of the first like concrete things that I remember as a person, was being mm, young and 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 seeing that on the TV. My brother was watching it and thinking like, I don't know what's happening on that screen, but I want it to be a part of my life. Um, how, how old were you then? Do you think? I mean, obviously you're old enough to walk, right? Right. I, I must have been about three years old. Wow. So I mean, yeah. that memory. Yeah. It's, like I said, That's one crazy. of the first like things that I remember happening in my life. Um, That's awesome. So I, yeah. Um, Although I will say that I'm not sure that if, if, if Sondheim is one of your first memories, you might need some counseling somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I think in the way that I enjoy theater and write theater now, um, I... Um, you know, people talk about Sondheim is, is really challenging and complex, but two of my first three, like, um, first, like, musicals that I really got yeah. to know were uh, the taping of Into the Woods, the taping of Sunday in the Park with George, <laughs> which yeah. I did not understand a word of, but enjoyed immensely. And uh, I, love, I love Manny Patinkin in that one. Oh, yeah. And Perfect. Bernadette Peters again. So and a lot Bernadette. of Bernadette yeah. Peters in my early years. Um, and then the the Joseph Papp production of uh, the Pirates of Penzance. They nice. made a film of that production, and I, I saw that I watched that until the VHS you know <laughs> ran out. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I when people say that Sondheim is weird and complex, it's always been a part of my musical identity. So I don't know if I <laughs> if <laughs> I hear the weirdness as much, and I think it probably makes my writing weird too. Um, uh, he's done all right with it, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, I, um, I always was, was involved with theater. I wanted to be doing theater as much as possible. Um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be my, uh, like my older brother who did theater. Um, when he signed up for dance lessons, I signed up for dance lessons. And when he took piano lessons, I started taking piano lessons as well. And I stuck with it a little longer than he did. Um, you, though we do both. You, do you think yeah. that was from a competitive spirit or did you want to be like him? N yeah, never competitive. I, I, he, like, he was absolutely, uh, oh God, he better not watch this and get a swelled head. But he was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I wanted to be him. I absolutely wanted to emulate when, you know, I, I think that the piano itself was alluring 
the the teacher my my right. brother's first teacher was this really really cool guy who was very very encouraging um and i could not wait till i was old enough to take lessons and at eight i started taking lessons um and uh and then i i as as i slowly got a little bit more competent I started realizing that I could just pick up any of the vocal selection books that were in my living room at the piano, um, which meant, you know, Damn Yankees and and uh, Pajama Game and Hello Dolly and even more recent stuff. I think we had a, a Follies vocal selections book, although I wasn't as good at that. But huh. um, slowly I started thinking, like, I wonder if I could, like, play shows i always wanted to be a performer that was always the aspiration but I, I you know i can play these songs that i listened to over and over again um the first time that i i thought i could music direct a show was when i took the full score of uh, godspell out of the of the library and i i played through it and it had chord symbols in it because it's a very pop influenced score and right. i and i thought I can I can play this. This sounds like I'm not faking it because I'm looking at the chord symbols and they're helping me. And I I feel like I could maybe play through this show. I could do that. And coincidentally, that was right around the time that uh, my the elementary school that I had attended um, reached out to me. They knew that I played piano, and uh, they were doing Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And when I had been in that school in fifth grade, I had played Willy Wonka ten years prior. Uh, so I was, no, five years prior. I was about 15 years old. And when I was about 10, I was playing Willy Wonka. They were doing it again. And so they called me and they said, you know, I think it would be a really nice thing to get you back. And they didn't have anybody, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so at and, 15, they asked you to not just come and play piano, but to actually teach the music to the kids. Is that? Sure. Yeah, I, I was the music director. Wow. I mean, um, we had... Uh, we, there was actually one music rehearsal where there were like seven or eight like elementary school kids came to my home where my piano was so that we could go through and learn music. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, it took, there was a little bit of a learning curve that I realized like, I really have to be on top of my game. I really have to be playing yeah. accurately. I have to really practice this stuff because my job is no longer in the spotlight. It's more about supporting these these kids, and I have to do everything yeah. I can to set them up for success. Um, but that's that's where I was first bit by the bug, and from then through the rest of high school and pretty much all of college, I was I was doing this balancing act between performing, which is what I knew I really wanted to do, and music directing, which is something that I really enjoyed, uh, and I think part of the the fun of it was. Um, that I was a hidden star, that I was, you know, that there wasn't as much pressure. I wasn't at, at right uh, out in front, um, but I was still an integral part of it. Um, yeah. So, so I'm graduating college now and all of my professors are saying, you know, what's it going to be? In my senior year, the last show we did, Babes in Arms, I played Val Lamar, who was the male lead, and I was the assistant music director on the show and played a couple of instruments throughout the show. Wow. Um, and you, uh, you you decided not to direct and choreograph and do everything else, huh? Yeah, you know. <laughs> I had a full course load that semester, too. So That was big of you. <laughs> That's awesome, though. But but all my professors are saying, what is it going to be, Paul? You have to make a choice. Are you a performer or are you a music director? And it was really uh, a terrifying thing for me. Um, and I 
ultimately came to the decision, uh, I, I don't have to, it's a false choice. I don't have to choose. Um, I can choose for right now. I, and I left school, I graduated and went out to Chicago because I'd been in New York all my life. I wanted to change of scenery. And uh, at this point, I didn't want to emulate my brother who was already living and working in the city. Gotcha. Um, I yeah. wanted to, you know, <laughs> Be your own force man. my own path. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I went out to Chicago and I, um, and I was doing both. I was auditioning and I was submitting to, you know, to play musical gigs or to be a music director. And I found that there was a little more stability in music directing. There was just a little more work, certainly more paid work. Um, <laughs> That's always good. And, yeah. And, and so, and that was really my focus for, for a while. Um, I think I did two shows while I was out there uh, well, acting, but I did a lot more music directing. Absolutely. And so with that kind of a dichotomy, um, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting to me, you, you know, you stood up, to, not stood up to the professors, but if they try to tell you, you need to do one or the other, which isn't bad advice. And and, and not everyone is as talented as a Paul Regano, right? Huh? Is that what I was supposed Go to say? Go on. Is that what I was supposed yeah, to say? Yeah, the, the check's in the mail. All right, thanks, man. Um, but honestly, you know, I'm wondering how much does one help the other? So as a, because I know a lot of, um, I, I know a lot of guys who write who aren't performers so to speak. So do you find though that being a performer and having been on stage and understanding that aspect of it makes you a better composer and a better uh, music director? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of in my education that they were very, very adamant that you don't just study what you want to do. Study um, all of the aspects of theater because when you are doing a show, you have to at least understand and be aware of everyone else in that building and, and their value and their importance in that building, which is, I mean, thank you very much for, for your contribution to that, to that awareness um, that there are so, so many people that you need to, that, that have so much value to a production that do not get the applause at the end of lots of hidden stars. So where did you go to college? I don't, I don't know to cut that. And we want to sure, give them yeah, I went upstate to SUNY New Paltz, uh, where I studied in I studied theater arts was my major, and I did a music minor. Um, there was no official musical theater major at the time. I don't know if there is now, um, but uh, I, that is really what my degree is in is theater arts. I learned about lighting design and sound design and you know all elements of design sets. Uh, I worked in the costume shop. I had to do run crew for shows. I had to build and paint sets. I, you know, took dance classes. So all of those things now when I am writing a show or when I'm music directing a show, I'm really able to think about, well, how is this going to affect uh, certainly the actors because that's what I've spent most of the time learning about. But how is this going to, you know, will there be enough time for this set change? Do I need more music? Yeah. Little things like that even. That's um, huge, that's huge. Uh, and I, I think hopefully I, as I still occasionally perform. And so being someone who is still semi-active as a performer, I'm able to kind of read a room as I'm teaching music. I can sense the, the vocal fatigue if I have to, you know, let's do it again, but mark this time or, or, or right. you know, let's see, see how we can negotiate this when you're doing this eight times a week. Let's talk about what we're going to do as a performer, you know, um, and I'm still directing, but I, I feel, I hope that I can, I can reach them on their level better. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, anybody I think that is listening um, that is considering going into the music directing, I, I think it would be great advice. And I think Paul would echo this to to spend some time doing other things as much as you can. Um, and a lot of universities require that, but they don't all. I mean, sometimes if you're going for a, a BFA, you're more focused on a specific thing. But, you know, put yourself out there and, and do some other stuff. Absolutely. Very good. OK, so then you're in Chicago. Right. So I, 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 I was in Chicago for about a year and I said I could right. stay here for maybe three to five more years and, and, and carve my own path the way I wanted to. Or if I go back to New York now, kind of cut my losses and where I already have a network because I have so many friends there, I could really hit the ground running in New York. And that's ultimately what I did. Also, family is just something that's very important to me. And it was nice yeah. to be where my family is. Um, but that's a personal thing. Um, you know, maybe you hate your family, go work in California, go wherever. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I tell you the, the, the more time I spent them here in New York, the more I think Chicago sounds like a good idea. Yuck, yuck. Uh, no. <laughs> so I come back, I come back to New York. Um, and I, you know, when I say hit the ground running, I did, I started writing a lot with David, my brother and collaborator. Um, and that was, um, something that we had lost a lot of time on because I had been in school and then I had been in Chicago. So now we were in the same city and uh, I was actually crashing on his couch for a couple of weeks until I found a place. And we wrote like mad. We wrote so much material in those few months. Because your, your um, brother is a composer and lyricist, is that right? That's right. We, um, we both are musicians and we're both lyricists. He's a slightly stronger lyricist. I'm a slightly stronger musician, but it's a very collaborative, we both do both kind nice. of situation. It's and it's it's very helpful to have a lyricist who reads music. Uh, I can I can tell you that. And probably very helpful to have one that is your brother and you know very well. Oh yeah, saves a lot of time. Oh. We have we certainly share a brain. There's definitely a shorthand that we don't have to, um, you know, we don't have to explain things to each other. Um, and there's also uh, a rapport that we don't have to treat each other. As, as gently as you might with someone who was a new collaborator. Even right. if you've known someone a few years, you have to be gentle. Anytime you're creating art, it's a very vulnerable process and you're bearing a piece of your soul. Um, well, and it's, it's very personal. I mean, absolutely personal. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, you, you know that. Um, and, and so when I, if I were to play something for David and I said, what do, what do you think of this? And he says, that sucks, you shouldn't do this here. I know that he's not, that there's no judgment, that it's not about, it's not personal. There's ego is really taken out of it. So right. we're able to cut through a lot of that to really get to the heart of what can we do to make this the best possible material. Yeah. Um, so I was writing with David a lot and I started, uh, I was walking dogs as my day job, which is something that when you get out into the real world, kids, that's um, not everyone has to do this. Some people get very lucky and get very successful very quick. But most of us, you got to find something that is going to pay the bills because theater won't always do that right away. Um, I was doing that for a while. I started taking gigs, uh, music directing at, at high schools around New York or, or playing piano. But most of my main income was from uh, working at this, uh, this doggy daycare and dog walking business, um, which was great. I love working with animals. Um, but it, it wasn't fully feeding my soul. Um, is, is that a lot like working like with actors? It no, I don't answer that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you should see him at feeding time. Ow! Um, so it was early 2015. I had two jobs lined up. I was music directing at a, 
at, at a college here in New York, and I was hired to do musical arrangements for a new musical that someone was writing that was getting its premiere down at Theater for New City. Um, and within a week of each other, I lost both those jobs. Um, Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, one was a simple miscommunication. The other one was a thank you so much for your work. I think we're going in a different direction. And they were very nice, very respectful. They felt awful about firing me, but my work was just not the right thing for the show. Well, and um, I'll stop you a minute here because, and um, a thought just hit me that I think was a good thing for us to get across to our listeners that are thinking about doing anything in this profession, especially something where you are creating, either acting or you're creating a character or you're creating a piece. If you're not okay with people's with those things happening, you should probably find a different profession. Is what I would say. Are you is would you agree? Absolutely. Um, you you need to develop a thick skin and you need to develop it quickly. Um, and understand also, I've been on the other side of that table. I've seen people audition for me, and I've thought, wow, that person is stunning, and they are are so confident, and they have such a strong product, and I can't use them for this show. There's really not a, a part for them in this show. I can't hire them. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why that you need that thick skin is you need to be able to hear no and think, well, I did, I gave them the best version of myself, and it wasn't what they needed. No, and absolutely, okay. especially on that level, because you may audition against 20 guys. You know what? you're all there for a reason, you're all good. And you may be an inch too tall because at that level, they can choose between the guy with short blonde hair and long blonde hair and the nose that they like, right? Quick, and quick tangent, a friend of mine uh, auditioned for Gavroche on Broadway when Les Mis was on Broadway back in the 90s. For a year, they kept bringing him in for callbacks. Now you have to audition, now we wanna see you. The music director wants to see you, now the producer wants to see you, now the, this person wants to see you. He was being called back over and over. He finally booked it after a year of auditioning wow. and getting called back. He booked it. He went in for his costume fitting. And in the span of that year, he had grown one inch and did not fit the costume. And he didn't get the job. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, crazy. It, it's a game of inches, kids. Yes. Um, so don't there was nothing he could do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But there was nothing he could do. He was the best version of himself that he could be, and they liked who he was, and they couldn't use him. The problem was the pup grew up. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Up. <laughs> sorry. I, you know, you just sometimes the low hanging fruit is easier, and it tastes just as good as the stuff at the top. So you got to go for it. <laughs> so I, I had just lost two jobs. I was uh, not not doing. Uh, Great. I was walking dogs and thinking, why am I not, you know, making my living from theater yet? Um, and a friend of a friend who worked in the box office of a theater company that I really loved. I had seen one show there and fell in love with this theater, uh, the Two River Theater Company. If you're in New Jersey, check them out. They are incredible. And uh, I knew I had a friend who worked in the box office and he said, hey, my theater is doing... Uh, a premiere of a new Joe Iconis musical. And they said that they needed music, a music assistant. Isn't that kind of what you do with Finale, which is a computer program where we, that professionals use to engrave and make sheet music. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah, I do that. Uh, please give them my information. I would, I would absolutely love to do that. And, and, and listeners, if you uh, viewers, if you don't know the name Joe Iconis, 
push pause, go look it up because it will add a whole lot of, oh, wow, factor to this story. <laughs> he's the man. He's, he is. He's he's legit. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he is. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I'm not the first person to, to say this. This is not a hot take. The New York Times has said this, but he is in many ways the future of musical theater. So really, really follow him. Um, I, I think on his website, that's the first thing you read. And I, look, if someone said that time. about me, uh, that would be the name too. of my website. Exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously, yeah, I leapt at the chance. Um, it was not really, this was something that was not originally, I think, budgeted for in, in personnel. Um, so they like made some space for me in the budget, but they had no housing. I was sleeping on the couch of the my friend who worked in the box office. He had a studio apartment in New Jersey. It was a big studio, but it was still a studio, and I was sleeping on his couch, kind of um, like a closet. Yeah, and uh, and then I would uh, I'd be at at those rehearsals from ten to six every day, uh, six days a week, uh, and then at six I would I would come home, I would go back to the studio apartment, get on my laptop, and uh, do some more work uh, until about sometimes two a.m wake up in time to send the work I had done to the stage management team uh, so they could print it so that when I got to work at nine, I had it in my hand, hot off the presses, and I could give it to the actors, any new material. Um, that was basically my job, was tracking any changes. And for those of you who uh, sort of are familiar with the development process of, of a new musical, there's a lot of rewriting and things change very quickly. Uh, on any given day, there are, there are changes and updates and the music director on that show, Nathan Dame, uh, had also been a, a music assistant on, on other productions, including, uh, I mean, like uh, the national tour of uh, Adam's Family was the thing he had most recently done when I met him. He And he put me through my paces. I knew about music copying, which is the art of creating sheet music, um, but uh, I, I had no idea. I didn't know what I didn't know. And he really held me to a high standard and he was a real taskmaster. And I say that with uh, the utmost admiration because he he created um, basically who I am today as a music copyist in those three weeks. It was a real crucible. Um, and when I say I was up until two in the morning, it was mostly because I didn't yet have all the tools at my disposal to, <laughs> to do it faster. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of learning, right, is is sometimes it takes longer to get there, but that's what makes you better at it as you go along. Mm-hmm, absolutely. absolutely. And you liked coffee, I would imagine. Oh, so much coffee. That was, I, I still have a picture somewhere. I showed up the first day, and everyone in the company uh, who was in the rehearsal room, uh, the whole cast and the writing team and, and the director and everyone had a coffee mug and a piece of gaff tape with their name written on it. And I had this red coffee mug with a white piece of gaff tape and it said, Paul. And I was like, I've made it. Um, <laughs> that is awesome. It's almost every, as good as like a star at Grumman's right in LA. That's exactly coffee cup with my name. I like it. It's true. Yeah. So that, I mean, like that was every morning, my routine, I would get my coffee cup and I'd set it down next to my computer on my little table at my station in the corner of the rehearsal room. And I thought I'm, I'm here in this room and the show, I, I guess I haven't mentioned yet. The show they were rehearsing was a little show called be more chill, what? which uh, had a, a, wow. a little bit of life after that. No um, doubt. I did, so I did that. I did. I wasn't even there for tech. 
I was there for maybe the first day of tech and then I went back to New York because that's all they had time for. Um, I, and then I came back and I saw opening night. Um, but I, I learned a lot from the, the orchestrator and supervisor on that was Charlie Rosen, who is, uh, even at the time and still is a a pretty big deal in the the Broadway community, um, and incredibly talented. I learned so much from Charlie and from working with Joe Iconis. I, uh, you know, got to know Joe, uh, very well. And that was really, um, really, really special for me. Very exciting to be working so closely that he would sit at a piano and say, I want, I need some underscoring and it's going to sound like this. And he would read from the script while noodling at the piano, what he wants it to sound like, and then send that to me. And I had to make it into sheet music by the next day. Well, and that says a lot about how much trust he had in you for sure. I I mean, basically it's like handing somebody your baby that you just met and say, take care of this. Right. Right. Um, of course, if I brought the baby back and it didn't look like what it, what he had imagined, he could always say, no, this is wrong. Fix this, change that. But that's, or go back that's to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Take a hike. Yeah. Um, that luckily never, never got to that point, but that's, I mean, I expect whenever I'm doing work like that, where it's transposition that I'm not going to get it a hundred percent. And oh, the yeah. first step is always bring it back to the person who assigned it to you and say, is this what you meant? Make sure this is right before I print a hundred copies for the cast and the production team. Yeah, and be okay with not getting it right. It goes yes. back to that. Yep, absolutely. Very good. So you're 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 out of that. You're back in uh, back at uh, you say Walking Dogs again, right? You, yeah. After, after that gig, I went back to Walking Dogs. Oh, you really was, did. It was yeah, <laughs> a very a very surreal kind of thing that I was like last week. I was working with the the future of Broadway and and people who had been on Broadway and and now I'm walking fluffy again. Um, Let me ask you this. You um, you had two jobs you had just lost before this, and then mm-hmm. you, you got this job. It was three weeks, but then, you know, you were out of there at the first night of tech. You didn't get to stick around, and you're back to walking dogs. It's at this point in most people's narrative that a lot of people, the next line is, and then I gave up and went home. Of course, home for you is New York anyway. So maybe, maybe that helped a little bit, but you stuck with it, man. You stayed in it. What, what was the drive? What uh, kept you from hanging it up? I, God, I wish I knew. It, I will say that at the beginning, coming back to Walking Dogs felt like a temporary thing. Like, well, okay. man, I've, I've, I've gotten, made some connections and, and things are bound to pick up. And then, I mean, they didn't, you know, right away. Um, it was a few months before I did another high-profile gig, but um, l- later that summer, I, I did. I was um, Charlie Rosen, who was that orchestrator, called me and said, "I'm doing another show. It's up at Barrington Stage in the Berkshires." Uh, Nick Blameyer wrote this show called "A Little More Alive," and uh, I- I'd really like to have you back. It was good having you on. Be more chill. It saved me a lot of work, and yeah. <laughs> I'd love for you to do that again. Um, I made I met some amazing people at Barrington Stage. If you ever get the chance to work with them. Uh, what a great group of folks. Uh, same thing at Two River. Um, I've been very fortunate to work at, at theater companies that treat their employees and, and very well and, and, and produce really smart and uh, engaging theater. Um, a- after that, I started thinking, this is something that I should be more proactive about. So that was that was the turning point. It was real dark <laughs> coming <laughs> off of Be More Chill and before things picked up. And it was when things picked up again that I said, I can't, I can't keep waiting for the phone to ring. Right. Um, so I 
I started looking into things. A friend of mine that I met in Chicago was now teaching at this uh, college in Texas. He invited me down to music direct for him for a six week period, which was a blast. I had so much fun. And while I was there, um, I got, uh, I, I applied for another show um, at a, a regional theater in Indiana uh, where I did uh, Forever Plaid. I got that job while I was working there. I also got a call from Charlie. So even though I wasn't waiting for the phone to ring, I was being proactive. The phone still did ring and Charlie said, we're doing another Joe Iconis show. It's back up at Barrington. Uh, and that was Broadway Bounty Hunter, which we did that summer directly after I had just done um, uh, uh, Forever Plaid. Uh, so 2016 was a, a big a big turning point for me. Um, after after that, I this was... Um, I, this is the moment that I say I, I owe this woman my my career in a way that uh, I was at a, a meetup for music directors in the city. Um, and I saw someone who had been the music assistant on the Paper Mill Playhouse production of Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, and I knew that the choreographer from Be More Chill, Chase Brock, was also the choreographer on Hunchback at Paper Mill. And so I said, this is someone that I can connect with. I can strike up a conversation. I can network. Um, her name is, is uh, Britt Bonney. Uh, she's incredibly uh, talented uh, composer and music director in her own right. Um, but at the time, we were both just these, these two music assistants uh, with a mutual friend. Right. Um, and so I started talking and we exchanged information. And over the next uh, few months, when she couldn't take a gig, she would call me. Okay. And she would say, I can't take this. Could you, would you, or, or, you know, I'm doing this job, but I have to go away for one week. Can you sub for one week on whatever it is? Um, the most uh, impressive one, I think, was a show that I was being done with Alex Lackamore, who is the music director and music supervisor of Hamilton, and Andy Blankenbuehler, who directed Hamilton. Um, they were putting up a new show, a workshop, and I got to sub on that for a week. Wow. Um, that was a, a, a dream. And that is where I met the music director on that show, who is the person that I probably work the most closely with, was Meg Zervoulis, who is uh, probably the busiest music director. <laughs> <laughs> she she does so much and she's so she deserves all the work she gets because she's incredibly uh, accomplished and talented and a great person to work with and for. Um, I, I can't sing her praises enough. Um, and she was uh, when you filled in for the week, she was that's where you met her. Right. Um, and then uh, she does a lot of 29 hour readings, which if you're uh, young and just starting out, you might not be familiar, but this is when a show is being developed and the creators want to hear the show on its feet. You know, well, not really on its feet. Um, it, it's people at music stands with their scripts in front of them and one piano, maybe a drummer and a small invited audience just to hear what the show sounds like and hear if it works and what needs fixing. Um, it's a very fast-paced environment where things are rewritten quickly. So a music assistant is a stressful but important job in that hierarchy. Yeah, crazy times. And just a side note, is that something that um, uh, performers, do they almost use it as an early audition or do they just go out and get some people? Um, I, I think there's, there's definitely a combination of the two. I think that um, – in terms of uh, the create, frequently creators will say like, well, I wrote this with this person in mind. I'm going to call them. I want to hear them do it. Or they'll say, 
I know that this person isn't a hundred percent right for the role, but I know that I can trust them to learn it quickly and, and do it well. Um, people like to call people that they trust in these situations. Um, right. Some of the, the, the higher up uh, readings, they'll, they'll, you know, hire a casting director to bring people in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of the people who are involved, there's an understanding that there's no guarantee that they'll move forward with the show. Right. But I, I, there have been situations where actors really click with a role in a reading. And so every time they do the show, the creators will want to work with that person again. And eventually the role kind of starts to get written around that person. You know, Ben Platt was with Dear Evan Hansen for ages before it came to Broadway. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, that's an example of that. Um, so Meg does a, a lot of these because she's dependable and she can really put something together well quickly. Um, and it was, uh, really, really flattering that when she did these, uh, a few times over the course of the next year or so, she would call me. Um, and that, that obviously made me feel, uh, really, really great that she would trust me with that kind of, that level of stress. Um, and I, I mean, obviously I always left it the chance to work with her because like I said, she's phenomenal. Uh, then it was one day I was riding home through all this, by the way, I'm still doing day jobs. I wasn't walking dogs anymore, but still, you know, odd jobs and things. Theater was still not yet my main source of income. Um, I was on the end train coming home from, uh, hanging out with some friends in Queens one night and I see that I had missed an email. And so I, I'm just flipping through my phone and, uh, it's from, a an email address. It just says Alex G. So I open it up. And it says, hi, I'm Alex Gemignani. I'm the music director for West Side Story Revival on Broadway. Uh, my associate music director, Meg Zervoulis. Uh, we, need, we need a music assistant. And Meg said that you're, uh, you're the best. And, uh, and I said, well, Meg's lying. I'm not the best. But I fancy myself pretty accomplished. And I would be happy to. And then that, I, I jumped up out of my chair when I read it. <laughs> uh, almost smacked my girlfriend in the face. And... Uh, yeah, luckily the, the the train car was almost deserted. It was pretty late at night. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> thought me totally crazy, but I I had a a, a full, almost full meltdown <laughs> right there, just out of excitement. Yeah, th I mean that must th that must have been one of those moments in life that you just think, man, I hope I get to have one of these, but most people don't, right? I mean that's that's pretty incredible, huh? Yeah, I mean I, I definitely consider myself very fortunate to have even in any way been even peripherally involved with a Broadway production. It's yeah. what I grew up going to see and, and idolizing. Uh, so to be a part of it is, is exactly as exciting as you think it is. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't get old. It doesn't, you know, Oh, that just going to my job. No, it's no. always amazing. Yeah. And I would imagine at that point, Meg was probably one of your favorite people in the whole wide universe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, had to had to buy her a bottle of wine. Absolutely, yeah, that's awesome. And and I think we can learn something from that. Um, you know, one of the things you've said consistently about people who were influential about you is they didn't pull punches, right? And that's part of your industry. There's no room to pull punches. There's you got to get it done, and you got to get it done now. And the fact that Meg um, con has constantly or consistently um, recommended you for jobs and and given you good recommendations, inc including this, which is your your biggest break at, to that point, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Man, it it says that you must be a good learner. I think. Um, because 
when people are not pulling punches, uh, people, the people being punched react differently. Maybe that's a good way to say it. That's a very, very good way to say it. Yeah. Um, and you've got to be a good learner. I think that's a great lesson for all of us to succeed in an industry like this. I think you've always got to be teaching, but you've also all got to be willing to learn. Yeah, I, 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 mentorship is something that's just incredibly important to me as an artist, um, both uh, receiving mentorship, which I've most of the jobs that I've been talking about have been on my way up. So I've been, you know, um, talking about the people who were influential and helped me and, and got me to that next level uh, in my work. But um, I also find it just as important, like you said, always learning and always teaching. Um, some of my favorite memories from working on West Side Story were uh, sitting with um, Jonathan Tunick, who is a legendary Broadway orchestrator, um, and David Chase, who is in his own right and a bit of a, a legend, um, has basically has just been working consistently on Broadway. Any show that you have really enjoyed within the last 30 years, I'm sure he had a hand in. Um, he... Uh, and, and, and so David really uh, was helpful and instructive to me. Um, and he could tell me things, important things about, well, when we're, when we're writing these arrangements, because it was West Side, so the music was pretty much set, but we, we did make some minor adjustments. Um, he would say, I don't want to put a cymbal crash there because a cymbal crash tells the audience that they have to look for something. So uh, I'm going to put it yeah. here where Anita does the big kick because it'll line up and it, that will really get the wow factor. And so David could teach me those things. And at the same time, when Jonathan Tunick was speaking, who has a <laughs> year history on Broadway, <laughs> both David and I were all ears. Um, right. uh, I was just a sponge on that production. And, and I remember day one, Meg was walking me through and saying, here's how it's going to be different from what you're used to. You're going to have to do this now, which is new. You're going to have to do this. And we're going to expect this. This is what you expect and this is what's expected of you. Um, and there's, uh, like I, like you said, she didn't pull punches, and I'm so grateful that she didn't. Um, there's, you know, something happens when people expect a lot of you, and it's usually that you kind of rise to it. Yeah, or you walk dogs constantly <laughs> for the rest of your life. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not at all. <laughs> dogs are fan, people. Big fan of dogs. Dogs are people too. That's right. <laughs> and I hear they all go to heaven. I don't know. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I've I've met some dogs that it's questionable, but yeah, probably. <laughs> well, very good. So West Side Story to queer. Well, what's yeah, it's well in this age of of, of craziness. Who yeah. knows? While I was working on West Side Story, I was thinking about what I want to do next because I really, you know, I'm I think like. I'm, I'm at this uh, at this level now. Where where do I go and how do I keep, you know maintain this? Uh, I got an offer from someone uh, to to MD a, a small chunk of their season, but it would have taken me out of New York. And I was really interested. I liked this person. I liked the theater company and the work that they did. Um, and I, but I also didn't. Want, I, I was thinking, well, if I'm now if I have made some connections in the Broadway world, do I want to stay in New York and be able to strike while the iron is hot? Um, and I spoke to David Chase, who I mentioned earlier, who was just a, a really fantastic uh, uh, mentor and guide during this whole process for me. Um, and he said, uh, well, he, he said uh, two important things. And he said, the most 
the best reason that I ever had for taking a job was because I knew it would make me happy. Yeah, um, that's great advice. It wasn't about the money and it wasn't about the, the, the whatever the connections. It was about fulfilling my own needs as an artist and my soul. Um, and then he said, it's also, it's not wrong to say to say Alex Gemignani, who you've been working with and with Meg, who you have a good relationship with or Charlie Rosen, who you've worked with, call the people who have been mentors and, and helpful to you in the past and say, Hey, I just finished a job. And uh, right now I'm, I, I don't have anything lined up. Do you have anything for me? Obviously make sure that it's someone that you have that, that relationship with. Don't just call up. Hello, oh, Broadway. Oh. I'd like a job. But um if, if you have a relationship, there is nothing wrong with with not being afraid to say, I, I'd like to work with you again. And if you're doing something, I'd really like to be involved. And in that same conversation where he told me that, I said, well, then, in that vein, uh, uh, I, know, that. I know that you are working on the upcoming revival of The Music Man. And West Side Story is my favorite musical of all time. But just a close second is The Music Man, uh, which is ironic because they played in the same season. And Music Man actually beat Westside for the Tony um, for Best Musical. But uh, aside from all that, um, I would really love to work on another revival, especially with you and uh, on a show that I love, I care about deeply. Um, and that's starring, uh, what's that guy's name? Wolva something. Wolva, uh, what? <laughs> huge, huge, huge Ackman. Huge, huge, yeah. Huge Act Man. He's that's an good. actor, right? He's a huge Act Man. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's really a perk. The, the, the fun of it for me is getting to work on a show that I really, really love. And uh, the director is, is Jerry Zachs, who the first show I ever saw on Broadway was directed by Jerry Zachs, the first two oh. shows I saw. And I, um, I think he was very formative in my theatrical education. Um, so uh, I, I just said, I'd love to be involved. I don't know if you have a music assistant already. Um, but I, I would really love to be involved in any way, shape, or form. And he said, I, I don't know what the situation is, but I'll reach out. And uh, within a week, uh, the, the, you know, it was a, a handshake uh, agreement yeah. at the time, but it was, it was over email. I, I, I got the job working on that. So assuming that everything comes back to normal uh, within the next few months, that, that will be uh, my next gig. Congratulations on that, man. That's exciting. Uh, I, I, that is actually one of my uh, bucket lists is to get to see that production. So maybe, uh, maybe we can hook up, have some pizza or something afterwards. If I, if hey, I can absolutely. actually pull that off, that would be fun because yeah. uh, that's exciting stuff right there. That's exciting stuff. Well, it, so that obviously brings your journey right up to where we are right now. And um, man, just an incredible journey along the way. Uh, so much to learn through it. So thank you for that. Um, I want to kind of have you do something for us because, again, you're the first uh, guest we've had on the show at all that is in the uh, music directing, assistant music directing. You've, you've talked about a copyist, um, which may be a new term to a lot of our viewers. And mm -hmm. so if we can just take a little bit of time right now and just kind of walk us through, you know, what, what does that world look like? What does each of those do? Um, the responsibilities. Yeah, so I've talked about a, a music director and a music supervisor, and I'm gonna explain the very fine distinction between those two. Um, and that is that a, uh, a music supervisor is not the person who is conducting the pit every night. Um, frequently they will um, double dip and your music supervisor, excuse me, will be uh, an orchestrator as well. Um, 
basically they are, <laughs> I, will, I will quote David Chase again, who has said, if we bring back the Tony for music director, the, the job of music supervisor will disappear. A lot of what a music supervisor does is similar to a music director, but they don't have to get in the trenches every night with the show and, and, and conduct it or play it uh, every night. Um, the music director is that person. They are the person who is in every rehearsal. They are, they are teaching material and working with the actors to not just, here's how the song goes, la, da, 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 but um, they'll say, well, why are you going to breathe here instead of there? Let's talk about what's happening with your character musically. Let's talk about your character's musical journey. And it's something that I think people might not always think about when they're watching the show, but it is absolutely going to be something that affects them. And that's one of my favorite things about being in the music department is that it's so much harder for an audience to say, you know, they can say, wow, I, uh, when Elphaba flew and she was up in the air, that was a really cool effect and I liked it and I know why, because it looked cool. Um, and nothing against uh, uh, scenic designers or, or uh, flying operators. I don't know the terminology because it's not my department. Uh, um, if you'll watch episode seven, no, six, I think you'll learn. Just excellent. go back and watch episode six, Paul. <laughs> um, so, uh, but people can sometimes say, when this musical thing happened, I felt this and I didn't know why, you know. Um, so, so the music director is the person who influences a lot of those choices, and the music supervisor is really overseeing the whole thing. Um, I referred to Meg Zervoulos, who is the associate music director on um, West Side Story. The, the differences between associate music director and assistant music director are, again, a fine line. Uh, it has to do with some administrative uh, duties, mainly. But basically, she is the person, If Alex, when Alex Gemignani comes out of the pit, he wants to watch the show and take notes so that he's not focused on conducting. He wants to really sit back so he can take notes. Meg is the person who will then uh, step in and conduct. Uh, she's normally playing piano in the pit, so someone else will then play piano. She will step up and conduct. Um, the copyist uh, is actually not the job that I had, although I did do music copying on the show. Um, the role of the copyist is the person who actually makes takes the parts, uh, so there, there are two stages. During rehearsals, we're working from a piano score, and that is not the same score that the pianist in the pit plays every night. Uh, that is the score that's been orchestrated. So the piano is basically playing everything that you hear condensed onto a piano. For a rehearsal room, that's all you need. Um, I am in charge of maintaining that as things change. In a new musical, things might get rewritten. A new song might come in at the drop of a hat, and we need new music, and we need to get it to the cast. I organize all of that. Um, what I like to say is that I, I make order out of chaos. Uh, like when Joe Iconis will sing into his phone recorder, I want the underscoring to do this. He emails that to me. I have to listen to it and then say, here's what he wants the music director to see when they play it and when they teach it. So I would imagine then that that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Arconis and Meg and, and, and these people um, may come back to, to you is because you the more you work with someone, the more you know their style and the more you can interpret it better. Is that absolutely? Yeah. Um, and that's something that is uh, th that I found um, is uh, an important skill to have to have that flexibility. Oh, well, I'm, when I was working on that show by Nick Blemmer, A Little More Alive, that show was really based on guitar more than piano. So uh, Charlie Rosen helped me a lot because he plays 
every instrument, <laughs> he was able to sort of translate, say, you're thinking like a piano player, and the, it needs to be read like a guitar player. And he would help me, he would help decode that for me so yeah. that I could create a score that made sense. Nice. So a lot about translation, knowing different languages. Absolutely. It's all about uh, conveying information. And then those piano vocal scores get given to Jonathan Tunick or whoever who orchestrates it. And the copyist on the production was a woman uh, named uh, Kathy. And she uh, works at Emily Grishman, which is a whole, uh, it, it, Emily Grishman is an extraordinary copyist uh, and really a pioneer in the industry and created, a, she has a company of uh, a small group of people who work for her and they are all uh, creating scores for shows. Um, that they get, for, the orchestrator gives it to them and they have to make it to give to the band parts. Nice, so the assistant music director works with a pencil and the copyist works with a pen. That's a very good way to put it, yes. That, yeah. Is that fair? And, and then I, what I give in, in ink back to, the, uh, back to whoever has given it to me uh, will then get marked up with more pencil and fix this, change this. <laughs> or since you started to do that, we've already rewritten it or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, you didn't really need to stay up till two, but thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, that was one of the one of the most important lessons when I was working on Be More Chill, is that there's a lot of experimentation in a new musical. And they would say, let's try this. And Nathan, out of the corner of his eye, would see me start furiously typing it into the computer. And he would just go, don't do anything yet. And then 10 minutes later, they would experiment, they'd play with it. And 10 minutes later, they'd say, no, it doesn't work, go back to the old way. And so he saved me, you know, maybe 30 minutes of work of trying to create that. Um, and so getting to read the room and know what's gonna stick, um, when to officially make the changes, that's, that's something that you can only get through doing it over and over again. And I'm still not great at it, you know? Mm -hmm. I. I do you do, uh, um, just out of curiosity, do you start a recorder during the sessions and, and make an audio recording of the whole thing just so if you need to ever go back? Generally, no, because we will usually have a lot of sloppy experimentation and throwing things around. And occasionally, right. even in those meetings, I'll be standing next to them with a pencil, furiously scribbling what I see them doing. Um, and sometimes, you know, again, once you've established this level of, of uh, respect and trust, you can say, well, what if that was an E flat? Would that make it easier? Would that fix this problem? And, you know, you have to just be able to uh, take it when they say, no, not that. Sometimes, <laughs> Again, occasionally an idea gets through, but, um, but yeah, it's, so once it's kind of, once all that messiness is over and we say, this is what it is, and it's, it's crystallized, then I'll say, all right, let's record it now and I'll put it on the recorder and that's what I'll take home. Right. Again, so, I, I don't want to commit to anything until I know that it's really what we want. Absolutely. So I would imagine during this process, which is very give and take and very, and sometimes they're handing you the chicken scratch or uh, sending you a, uh, you know, an MP3 file of, of singing into the phone. Um, how often are there times where you just can't understand what they've said? And so you, you kind of make something up yourself there and, and flex your composer muscles and oh. throw it in there. And does that ever happen? And if so, does it ever make it to the final score? And if so, who gets the writing credit? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yes and no. Um, so I, I will say like, um, first of all, the composer will always get the writing credit because anything that I create always has to go through them. Right. So that composer has to read it and then say, yes, this is what I want 
represented on the page as my work. Um, and ultimately, I, like you really have to strip away your ego. There have been moments, there are things that I have then that I've heard in performance and thought, yeah, I kind of did that. <laughs> very, very, very minuscule things. Um, but things nonetheless that I can take a, a modicum of pride in. And you can tell your mom about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, um, so, yeah, th that happens occasionally. Um, there was a moment when I was working on Be More Chill uh, when we were licensing it, because I don't know if you remember back in 2017, um, the licensing rights came out before it came to Broadway because it was this, this sensation. Yeah. Um, and so I was working at a regional theater in Indiana and I got a call saying, hey, you prepped the materials when we did it at Two River. Can you get the stuff together for the licensing company, which is then going to go out to any company that licenses Be More Chill, which was a great honor for me. Um, there was a moment in the score where I said, there's no music here and there kind of has to be. Can I use this theme from earlier? And I made a little voice memo and I emailed it to Joe and he said, yes, you have my permission to put that in the sheet music. So, uh, it didn't end up on Broadway, but in the licensed materials, it's there. Oh, nice. Uh, unless they've changed the licensing materials now to match the Broadway score, in which case, who cares? <laughs> but it's a great example of what I asked about. That's that's cool. Yeah, and again, thick skin, right? I mean, you got to be willing to say, hey, you know what? I know my role, and I'm okay with my role, and uh, right. that's the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. And someday you maybe get to be the guy who, you know, takes credit for someone else's work. No, I'm just kidding. Just hey, kidding. You <laughs> I am happy to. <laughs> Anytime. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I, I know I feel much more educated on the roles, all of those roles. And some of those I, I didn't even I, I will say that I don't know if you've ever uh, if you are a fan of The Office or not. But I think um, as you explained the difference between associate and assistant. I feel like the associate may be the uh, the assistant to <laughs> the director, and then you have the assistant director and the assistant to the director, right? The old Michael right, Scott, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so the future, uh, obviously, hopefully before too long, the future will be Paul getting to work alongside a bunch of wonderful people on a wonderful musical. Uh, I mean, the, the good news is I get to do that already, whether or not people hear about it. There but, you, go. you know, I, I do, you know, I take the, the title of show approach, which is so, so take your biggest dreams in stride and bring your friends along for the ride. Um, That's good. That's you find good. people you like, you keep working with them, you know, so, and I've made that well, a, a policy. That's good, man. And so what would that biggest dream be? That's a great transition you gave me there. If you could write your ticket, what would, what would the, what would the dream be? Yeah. Um, you know, I talk a lot about, um, when, when my brother and I talk about, you know, sort of what we, what our aspirations are, um, certainly I think performing is still, uh, something that I enjoy and I very occasionally will do. Um, so I don't want that to completely disappear, but uh, I think that that uh, composing and music directing is really taking more of the forefront right now in my career. Um, I think it's 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 difficult to look ahead when when I I feel the best way to approach the future is as open as possible um, to all sorts of possibilities because you just don't know what's coming. You know, you make plans and God laughs. So I. Um, what I, what I kind of like to do is, is think back 
five years ago, right now, I had just, I had just left Be More Chill in New Jersey to come back to Walking Dogs five years ago, almost to the day. Yeah, almost exactly. Um, so if I had said to myself, as I was taking that train back into the city, five years from now, you will have done the job you just did on uh, Be More Chill. You will have done that on a Broadway revival of West Side Story. I would have jumped out of my skin. I would have been ecstatic. So I think um, an, an openness towards the future with an eye to the past is how I like to do it, is to say like, I think if I only get stuck in where I am and, you know, I'm not, I'm not there yet, you know, it, it, you can get down on yourself very quickly. But if I think, well, five years ago, did I ever expect to be here? Um, I think I, I would have hoped for it, but the fact that it, it, it happened um, is, is crazy exciting. So five years from now, who knows? Yeah. Opening, opening a, a show that I wrote at least off Broadway on Broadway. Hey, that'd be amazing. Hey, we'll all come celebrate with you if that's the case. Excellent. We'll be, You're we'll invited to opening night. I'll be the one holding the hidden star sign with your picture on it. I knew him when, when he was <laughs> hidden before he's that. No, but I, I, I fully believe. And and one of the things I want to, I'm going to give you a little bit of props here. If you, if you wonder why I'm saying these things about just how good they are in the descriptions down there, I'm going to post a link to, yeah, see it down there, uh, to a, um, a song that Paul and his brother Dave wrote for the rave, was it the rave, uh, not short film contest, I'm forgetting the exact uh, the, the rave theater festival, social distancing festival. Because they do the festival every year, right? Right. And and so this year, because of social distancing and the COVID, they, um, it, it all had to be remote. And so Paul and Dave wrote uh, just a freaking incredible song. You're going to love it. It's, if you're a fan of musical theater, you're going to, you'll probably tear up like I did and get goosebumps. Uh, but uh, put a link to it down there. It, it really is. And they won. They won the whole thing with this. And it's it's so awesome. So uh, after you finish the, this video, go watch that video and then send it out to all your friends so it goes viral. Uh, and more than it already is. It's already all over, man. Everybody. It's, it's done. It's been one of our best performing videos. And we're, we're really proud of it and the response. And we, we hope that it, it touches people like it did you. It's it's uh, hopefully just as like uplifting as it is touching, it's you know. Absolutely, totally uplifting, totally uplifting. And a little funny. Yeah, it is that as well. And uh, not only that, but if you are a production person, just the production quality alone is worth watching because the fact that you did all of that in your, you know, while you were quarantined and just using what you had at home and mixed all that. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's awesome. And, and you have and, so and, many friends. I don't have that many friends. <laughs> well, that I was going to say, like a lot of a lot of kudos has to go to the people that we call. Uh, again, we just we love keeping the people that we that we like to work with. We keep them close, and we love to call them and say, "Here's some very specific instructions." And, and uh -huh. on this bar, you have to do this and sing this here. And and they were doing it completely in a vacuum. They had no idea what else was happening until and, they saw the full product. And when you see the full product, you'll be blown away. It's just really cool. Just really cool. So I look forward to entire shows with that level of talent. It's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, if you do another thing like that and you, and you need somebody, I, I know a guy, I'm just I saying. Mean, you got a pretty sweet setup there too. You've already yeah. got the, the home I'm, studio. I'm telling you not, not many home studios better than this one. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So dude, 
Paul, this has been so good. Um, any, any last, I always want to give a little bit of, you know, uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, you've, you've already dropped so much knowledge on us and such good wisdom, but is there anything else that um, you feel like you're thinking, ah, this would be good to share. And if not, that's okay. I just want to give you the opportunity. Anything mm -hmm. we haven't talked about. Um, I'm going to get to the passion question uh, because sure. that, you know, that's how I want to end that always it's my favorite, but anything other than that. Um, there is no such thing as the right or the wrong choice when you are, this is, I mean, it's personal to me because I've had a lot of moments in my career that I felt like I was at a crossroads and I thought I have to make the right choice. And the truth is there's no such thing as the right choice. There's no such thing as the wrong choice either because you're going to get through and you're going to figure out a way to make it work for you no matter what happens. Um, so trust your instincts. Do always do what makes you happy first um, and be nice to everyone you meet, please. It is such a small business and I will always, always want to work with someone who I like and have worked with and have a good relationship with over someone who even might be a little better at the job. Yeah, um, and that's why our board of wisdom, our wall of wisdom is full of that advice. And that, and and let's be honest, that's not just in this industry, that's in everywhere. Let's just all be nice. Really just true, be nice, just be nice to everybody you meet. Be nice. Um, and, and, and assume, I guess the, the theme throughout mine was, was uh, to drop the ego, right? So it's, yeah. you know, being nice goes hand in hand with assume that everyone is doing their best to be nice to you. Everyone there, as Jamie, as you're showing in this series, everyone is important and has worked hard to get where they are and they Absolutely. want to put on a good show. We're all on the same team. So to assume or to, to blow up at someone if something goes wrong, it's just a waste of energy and time. We have a show to get up. Um, so drop, drop the ego. Don't be so hard on yourself and man, just have fun, make the choice, you know, let your, let your heart be your guide when you're making those decisions. And so many platitudes, so many empty platitudes. <laughs> None are empty. None are empty. Our, our platitudes are always full of steak and potatoes. <laughs> I like that. So I mean, I, you know, I mentioned this a little bit, it was coming up, but my favorite, uh, my favorite part of these, because all of my guests are such incredibly talented, passionate people, and there's something that drives each of them. And it's not always the same thing. And so I, I really love to hear kind of that put into words. And, I, you know, you um, have done, you've worked 16 hour nights for very little money. And stayed up till two in the morning beyond those six, you know, and just done what it took. You were willing to go out and, and do whatever jobs it took to support you to be in this. That doesn't just happen because just because you're a nice guy, you are a nice guy, but you obviously love what you do. You're good at what you do and you're passionate about it. If, if you can just put into words for us, what is it that drives that passion? What is it that you just love about this? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll relate it back to when I was walking dogs, actually, because you got to find something that drives you no matter what you're doing. When you're doing your day job, you got to get through the day. You, got, you know what I mean? Um, when I was walking dogs, we used a spreadsheet to log uh, the dogs as they were going on walks or as they were coming into the daycare center. Uh, and I noticed that the organization of information was not as clear and streamlined as it could be. And I thought, maybe we can fix this. And that was where my love of spreadsheets began. Um, and... I realized the thing that I love about that is the same thing I love about being a music copyist. Um, and, I, you know, obviously I have aspirations like we talk about 
to, to write and to, to music direct. But, it, you know, if I keep doing this music assistant thing for a long time, it's going to feed me because it's, it's a, hmm, it's a way of organizing information. I have, uh, I have a, a very important part that someone is going, I have to make sure that a piano player can look at it and quickly understand it, right. uh, that a singer can look at it and know what they, where they have to look and what, you know, the worst thing in a rehearsal is for a singer to look at a piece of sheet music and not know what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. I want their eye to be drawn to, it's almost an art form to think about if I, you know, I have to look at, as I'm proofreading my work, I have to look at it as a piano player, as a conductor, as a singer, at, you know, so that no matter who's looking at it, you know, as, as an instrumentalist in the pit, that the information is organized uh, the best way possible. Um, and that can frequently come, like we said, from chicken scratching in a rehearsal. Quick, put this into the finale and get it, and I need it back in, in an hour. Um you are the Javert of the team, filling the chaos with order and light. Yeah, right? that's, but that, that's exactly it. It's, it's creating order out of chaos um, and starting when someone hands you just a, a stack of loose leaf with, with notes written on and scribbles, and then you hand them back a song, a piece of sheet music, five pages of sheet music that was came from all these scribbles and tatters. That's an incredibly gratifying feeling. And there are times oh, wow. even when I'm music directing and I look at a score and I can say, I know what happened here. The music director told the copyist to do X, Y, Z. And that's why it looks like that. But it's going to sound different because of this. Right. Um, Absolutely. And to think at any point when I'm watching a show, that worked because of something the copyist did. That's good copying. That that's is cool. a really fulfilling thing to do. And, I, you know, someone who doesn't do it for a living probably wouldn't catch it, but... No, yeah. I think I think it is because it is it is creation. I mean, it is molding. It is it is art, right? I mean, and right. any of us that are artists in any form understand that it's it's it is the act of creating. Um, even you know, and and some people would say, well, he didn't create it. The copyist doesn't create it. That's nah, not true. Uh, you know, I, I I liken it unto a sculptor who takes a piece of wood and sees something that we you could say God created in the wood, and they just take it out at what they see there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. So you are very much, I think, taking the raw material that's given to you and then creating it, it in a tangible way that can be enjoyed. Um, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And it also makes me I, I'm a huge fan of Sondheim. I my, one of my favorite roles I've played was the Baker into the Woods. Uh, uh, the song No More. The song No More is one of my favorite songs to sing. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, and I really feel sorry for Sondheim's assistant, uh, the, the assistant on that. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Because oh, I mean, I'm just mad. even after it's on the page, I'm reading it going, ah, this is really good. But ah, this, ah, trying to, I, I'm trying to imagine it as chicken scratch. I don't yeah, can, ah. can you imagine that Sondheim sits down at the piano, says to his assistant, and then it goes like this? Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they're just like, okay. <laughs> and, and, and they would have to think, how do I make it so that someone who doesn't know Steve yes. can play that? Exactly. Exactly. And then he hands it to everybody else, and they're going, did you get this right? Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. No. But only because Sondheim is a genius, right? Yes. Wow. And my apologies to Steve for butchering your fault. 
That's what that was supposed to sound like. But no, I, I knew, I, actually, I knew it. I did. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I jumped in and then you stopped, but that's okay. I suddenly remember. Oh, wait a minute. I don't remember all the words, which never happened on the stage. No, never. never. Not in that song. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, man, thank you. Uh, Paul, this has just been an incredible time, and there is one thing left to do. And I know this is probably the only reason you wanted to be on the show uh, or agree to be on the show because, you know, it's a big thing to get your uh, your words immortalized on the wall of wisdom. And so we're down to it. So you, uh, I, you know, I think you, you know enough about the show to know that I have a piece of gaff tape here, and I have my white pen, and I am going to tomorrow. You'll, I will have a copy cup with my name on it on gaff tape, so I can say I've made it. Since I know now that's what it is, that's easy. I can that's do that. It. That's the crux of it. Until my wife Everything tears it else off. Everything else is icing. Exactly. Icing sounds good too, though. Uh, so <laughs> you're gonna give me a uh, it, it, kind of think of it as this: what if you had a limited number of of characters in a text message, we'll say a tweet, and you were gonna, you had the chance to tweet young Paul when he was first starting out. And for you at the early age of birth, <laughs> um, uh, and you could give him one piece of advice. Um, what would that be? And we're gonna put that down and it will live forever on the wall of wisdom. Great. Um, give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. I like it. Yeah. Um, and you don't mean a Kit Kat bar. I mean, enjoy no. one of those every once in a while, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. um, you're, you're only human. Drop the ego. Give yourself a break. Did you do you see some things looking back in yourself that you feel like you, you had a little bit of an ego, some things you felt like you had to fulfill? At Absolutely. The time that, yeah. yeah. And that's good. And, and I, you know, I, and that's not just you, right? That's all of us as young performers. We feel like we are going to make it. We need to, we've got this level of, of performance or whatever, whatever we're doing that we have to achieve. And we put this pressure on ourselves. Um, and I think we've had some other ones like Emma Bogave said, it, it's only a show. Remember, it's only a show. You're yeah. going to have a chance to do this again. Um, and, and it's okay. So yeah, give yourself a break. Uh, save yourself some, uh, some stomach issues along the way. Oh yeah. I, I knew when I had messed something up really when I, during be more chill, that was some of the most anxiety ridden days of my life. I knew that I had done messed something up because I would feel something in the pit of my stomach. <laughs> if they messed up on stage, I would go, Oh, that's because of something I did. Nice. Yeah. And I'm I'm right there with you. And and again, that's one of those things that's at every level of this theater. You know, I remember that happening to me in my when I was in elementary school playing Frosty the Snowman, and uh, I, I think one of my buttons fell off or something, and it was devastating. But nobody right. remembers that but me, and it's okay. Um, so yeah, give yourself a break. That's good. So there's only one other thing I need to do, and that's document something, Paul. I, I sent you a note earlier because I dreamed a show tune last night. I dream complete shows. Um, I've got some great ideas I'll pitch you for you and your brother if you want your first really big, uh, you know, huge Broadway musical. I've got one. Excellent. Happy uh, to steal it. Anytime, man. Um, but this one, I got a document because I told him. And so when it goes there and he claims credit for it, I want you guys to watch this to know that it came from me. So basically, uh, Paul had already told me his story about when he when he heard on the in train about his big break. And so I literally dreamed um, picture uh, singing in the rain, dancing around, tap dancing, swinging on poles. Uh, and he was singing a song on the end train called I'm in on the end train. And it was glorious. 
It was glorious. You were wonderful, uh, both as a performer and the piece you wrote. Uh, I made on the end train was was very good, and it was in the genre of the huge Broadway genre of musical one acts. Yes. Hey, they exist. <laughs> they do exist. So, and 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 I gave him full rights. I gave him full rights to take credit for it. So, but at least now it's documented. You can't. You know, you gotta you gotta give me some props for that or something. Absolutely. Ten percent. Ten percent. All right. Yes. If nothing is still nothing. But I appreciate it. I do. When speaking of appreciate, man, I appreciate you just uh, coming and giving us this time. It really is um, special to us here because uh, you are a star, and that means a lot to us. So thank it's you. Been my great pleasure. Hey, and I want to I want to do something. Um, we do this for all of our guests because they deserve it. You know, you are a huge part of making the the, the magic happen, and but you don't get to go out on this uh, at night after night and take the curtain call the way those silly actors get to do all the time and, and, and absorb all of that. And you deserve a, a, that curtain call as much as anyone. And so I representative of all the world and all the musical fans. So to take my applause and multiply it times a 6 billion, but this sir is for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And it should be much, much more, but um, again, uh, it's been good. So yeah, Paul, Thank you. It was my honor. My pleasure. No, Paul, it was our pleasure to have you here on the show. And uh, man, you're such a great addition to the Hidden Stars of Theater family. Uh, just uh, just thanks for giving your time today. Um, and thank you guys for joining us right here on the show, as you always do. We love you. Uh, you know, uh, this is why we do it, right? Because we like to meet here and meet some incredible Hidden Stars. And what an incredible one we met today. Of course, more to come. So meet us next time right here on the Hidden Stars of Theater. But first, go down and like, subscribe. Uh, check out the video that I posted of Paul and his brother when they run the, the, the Rage film festival um just an incredible video called screen to screen you're gonna love it i promise and uh, watch for them for future broadway hits because i'm calling it guys i know i've said it but they're gonna be there and uh we'll all go watch them right every one of us right here that are watching today we knew it and 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 we're gonna go watch so thank you guys we'll see you next time when you come back to watch your next star right here on the hidden stars of theater this is jamie davis saying have a great dramatic day <laughs>